0: Um, I'm going to read verses 19 through 37. They can be found on page 741 of those Blue Pew Bibles. I'm going to give you 10 seconds of an intro so that you can follow along. We're going to start at verse 19. It's the middle of a story. King Nebuchadnezzar is speaking and he's told of a dream that he had and he just finished telling Daniel this dream. And in verse 19, Daniel responds to King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is what he says. Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived... It is you. O oh, king, you have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it. But the leave the stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze... In the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of the heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O King. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you should be driven among men. And your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over to you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you for the time that you know uh, for the time that you know that heaven rules therefore o king let my counsel be acceptable to you break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be lengthening of your prosperity all this came upon king nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew long as an eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason was restored to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will amongst the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I know that's a mouthful. It can be found on page 741 of those Blue Pew Bibles. We're going to talk about it for just a few minutes. Before we do, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we praise you that you know us. You have said that we human beings are like the grass of the fields and the flowers, that we are here today and gone tomorrow. You have said that we are raised up in beauty and we die as quickly as we have come. But you have said that you and your word endure forever, that you do not change. Father, I praise You as has been sung and said and repeated often already today that You have given us a shepherd. After the good shepherd of Psalm 23, You have given us Jesus. Father, You know how much we need a shepherd and You know how lost we are. Father, my heart resonates so deeply with Stephanie's prayer. Father, we are broken and we need to be fixed. We are lost, and we need to be found. We are wayward, and we need to be led. Father, we need to know our Good Shepherd more and more. Father, we praise You that that is Your intent and Your purpose, and that's why You've brought us here. We praise You that Your intention is to use Your church to bless the nations, And we look around and we say, Father, we first need to know that we are blessed, that we, the church, have been at least experienced the beginning of the healing that you have promised, and we praise you because of Jesus that it is true. True not because we imagine it, but true because you have done it. And Father, I pray that that peace that Nathan spoke of in the passing of the peace that is between us would go deep to the heart and that as one said even Friday night, you would teach us in that manner of peace to fight well, to fight for the peace that is ours so that the peace of your church would spill out into the broken and needy world in which you have placed us. Father, we praise You that You love New England more than we do. We praise You that You love Newton and Wellesley more than we do. We praise You that You love this world more than we do. And all we have to look to is the sending of Your Son, Jesus, our Good Shepherd. Lord Jesus, we praise You for Your pursuit of us and I pray now that to a woman and to a man gathered here this afternoon, you would pursue us. To a girl and a boy, even in the heat of this time, that you would make yourself known and that we would see you, Jesus, and be changed. That we would be given hearts willing to forgive the injustices that our brothers and sisters have, 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 have acted on toward us. That we would be quick to repent for the ways in which our pride has blinded our eyes. Lord Jesus, we praise you that in your kindness you make the heart of the Father known to us. And I pray, Father, that we would leave today rejoicing in your heart for us. We praise you that you care for the foreigner that You care for the sojourner, that You care for the widow, that You care for the fatherless, that You care for the needy, that You care for us. Father, in Your kindness, let us rightly define ourselves before You as Your children dearly loved by our Father for no cause of our own, but because of Your great glory. And would you allow us to rest in that knowledge? We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You guys, we are in the middle of the summer. And it's hot. And it's hot in here. And it's hot in our hearts, I hope, as we consider what we have begun to consider this summer, what it means that the centerpiece that the end and the purpose of our God who is a covenant God is that the nations of this earth might be blessed. And today as we look at this through this passage in Daniel 4, that the nations would be blessed even in the exile of God's people. That's what Daniel 4 is about. We have seen over the course of the last six or seven weeks... That the end and the goal of God's covenant relationship with us, His people, is the blessing of the nations. We have seen it through Scripture. We have seen it through the law. We have seen it through the prophets. Last week we saw it through the prophet Isaiah. And we were reminded that as Isaiah prepared the people of Israel to go into the wilderness, into exile, that remember he said, what you have gone through and are going through is not in vain. Do you think that what you have gone through this week is in vain, church? It is not in vain. We saw last week that God has given us a good shepherd. And we saw this through Isaiah 49. Do you know, church, that you have a good shepherd? And we saw last week in Isaiah 49 that God will not forget his people. You've got to look up here one more time. Do you know that God has not forgotten you? Do you know this? This is why we are here, not to live our best lives now, but for others. The reason that Nathan and I felt like this was a good season for us to talk about the goal of God's covenant relationship for the blessing of the nations is because we've all been through some of the craziest seasons of our lives, have we not? COVID isolated all of us. We pulled back. We pulled in. We surrounded. We guarded. But it is time to lift our heads up and to look and to see what we, the church, are called to. We are driven internally by a fear of being forgotten. We are driven internally by a fear of death. We saw that last week. But it is time to remember, church, that you're not forgotten. That because of Jesus... Death is not the final end. In fact, the final end for those who put their faith in Christ is eternal life with the Father. And today's passage suggests that there might be more that we need to be made aware of in our own hearts. I have a question to ask you here. I want to ask you this question. And I want you to give it a numerical value in your head, all right? Here's the question. How much do you dislike it when others snub you or ignore you, patronize you? Children, to patronize is to be treated kindly, but with somebody acting like they're superior than you. That's what it means to be patronized. How much do you dislike it when others show off or are always giving their opinion? How much? Take three seconds, put a numeric value to it in your head out of ten. How much do you dislike that? C.S. Lewis is the one that asks that question. And he asked that question in mere Christianity because he thinks that it is the best question to diagnose our personal level of pride in our own lives. Did you give yourself a six, a seven, an eight, a nine? Have mercy. Was anybody honest enough to give themselves a (laughs) 10? An 11? Spinal tap. This vice of pride is what this passage is about. It is the vice at the center of human sickness, Lewis says. It is an anti-God state of mind. And God in His kindness shows this first to Nebuchadnezzar, but second, and we will see, He shows it to His people in exile. And those are the two parts that I want you to look at quickly with me. First, to see God's kindness toward Nebuchadnezzar, and second, to see it in the life of those who were in exile. This is an account of the kindness of God toward Nebuchadnezzar. If you were going to read this whole chapter, it would stand out to you because chapter 4 starts off in the first person, I, Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember who Nebuchadnezzar is? He is the king of Babylon. Do you remember how we talked I guess it was nine three weeks ago... ...that Babylon is always the city in the Bible... ...that is set against Zion, right? It is the antithesis of God's city. It is the city of man, Babylon. From the beginning of Scripture, Genesis 10... ...all the way to the end of Scripture in Revelation... ...it's the same name. And here, the king of that city, Nebuchadnezzar... ...a historic king... ...referenced often and regularly outside of the Bible... ...is the one who writes this chapter of the Bible. And your mouths ought to be hanging open going, no way, you're kidding me. Do you want to know one action that this king performed? Let me tell you one action. When he set siege against the city of Jerusalem... ...when he was attacking the southern kingdom Judah... ...he set siege against the city so long... ...that the people of Jerusalem ate their own children... And when they finally defeated the city of Jerusalem, he took King Zedekiah and he brought him into his presence. And before the King Zedekiah of Judah, he slaughtered all of his sons before his eyes and then gouged out Zedekiah's eyes so that the slaughter of his children was the last thing that he would see. That is Nebuchadnezzar. That is who is writing this. And I want you to see God's kindness toward Nebuchadnezzar in this chapter. And I want your mouths to hang open and go, "There's no way God is kind. Not like that. There's no way. I want you to see it in His dream. Look, the first 18 verses of chapter four have to do about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He has had a dream. And this time Nebuchadnezzar is happy to tell the magicians his dream. He says that he dreamt of this great big tree, this tree that was visible all over the world under which the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air found rest. And suddenly a, a watchman from heaven came down and said, chop the tree down to its very stump. And verse 17, it tells us Why? It says the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision of the word of the holy ones to the end, and this is to the end, the purpose of this dream, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Verse 17 of chapter 4 God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream so that Nebuchadnezzar would know him and that he is in charge, not Nebuchadnezzar. The second way that God was kind to Nebuchadnezzar was Daniel. That's where we picked up the story in verse 19. Daniel hears the dream that Nebuchadnezzar tells him and verse 19 says that Daniel was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. Daniel knew that this dream was about Nebuchadnezzar. Now think about this for a minute. Daniel was one of the young people who was kidnapped from the city of Jerusalem after they saw their aunts and uncles and parents and loved ones destroy their own children. Daniel was kidnapped and brought into Babylon where he was made to learn the language of the Babylonians to learn their culture, to learn their history, to become Babylonian. How many times in the last three and a half months have you heard Ukrainians say it will take generations before Ukrainians don't hate Russians? Here we see Daniel expressing concern and worry for the king. And it's got to just make you scratch your head. Why in the world would Daniel care one iota for this king? But then God blesses Nebuchadnezzar by Daniel's kindness because Daniel tells him the truth. Look at verse 24. Daniel tells him the truth in verse 24 and he says, this is the interpretation, O king. Daniel doesn't lie in any way. He says, it is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men. You get the story, right? Nebuchadnezzar is going to be driven from among men. He is going to become like an ox in the field, and he is going to spend seven periods of time, months, years, who knows, long enough for his hair to be as long as eagle's feathers and his fingernails to be as long as the claws of eagle's Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the truth. But that's not the last of Daniel's kindness. When he says, I wish that this dream were not for you, but was for your enemies, it's got to make you scratch your head. Didn't Daniel consider him an enemy? But over and over, Daniel calls him his Lord. And then he calls the king to repent. Daniel says in verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquity by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel wanted Nebuchadnezzar's prosperity. Pick up your chin. It's unbelievable, isn't it? This story is unbelievable. But then God's kindness is revealed to Nebuchadnezzar in the event. It's verses 28 and following. Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the walls of his city one year later, and he goes, aren't I the greatest? Aren't I the one that has built the hanging gardens of Babylon, the seventh wonder of the world? Aren't I the one that has built this great city for my glory and my majesty? And immediately this vision that was a dream became a reality with the voice from heaven that said... Now your kingdom will be taken from you. And Nebuchadnezzar was indeed driven into the fields, became like an ox eating grass, having the dew of the heavens fall upon him for seven periods of time. What was the purpose of this again? Verse 17 told us that was the purpose was so that every living creature would know that God Most High was the one in charge. In verse 32, we are told again the purpose. And the purpose is told to Nebuchadnezzar before it even happens to him. He says this in verse 32, and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know, until you know for this purpose that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Nebuchadnezzar ends this story by the last verse. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. Go back to the question that I asked you and the numeric value you put on how much it irks you when you are snubbed, ignored, patronized by others. This story tells us that pride makes us inhuman. An ox is perfected by eating grass. An ox is perfected by living in a field. An ox is perfected by being outdoors. A human being is not. A human being's goal, a human being's end is not survival like an ox. It is relationship to its, his or her creator. That is the end of what it means to be human. And God is teaching Nebuchadnezzar, your pride has made you inhuman. And I, God, intend to restore your humanity, Nebuchadnezzar. Can you believe that God is willing to do this to Nebuchadnezzar? Why has he not struck Nebuchadnezzar dead? Because God does not think the way you and I think about those who offend us. About those who stir up our pride. About those who pick at the strings of our heart and infuriate us. There's an argument that is had in scholarship. Did Nebuchadnezzar come to faith? Nebuchadnezzar has three different times where he praises God. One of which comes before this when Daniel interprets his first dream for him. And he says, man, your God's great. And anybody who speaks against your God, I'm going to destroy them. And here we see Nebuchadnezzar saying what he says in verses 1 through 3, and then again saying what he says in verses 34 and 35. But I want you to know, even if you parse those out, unless you know more than the deepest Hebrew scholar that's out there, you'll come to the conclusion that, I I don't know. I mean, maybe he came to faith in who God is, and maybe he didn't. But I want you to recognize something. I want you to consider God's action toward Nebuchadnezzar. And think about that for a minute. Was that successful? You would have to read the story and say, absolutely it was successful, right? It is highly favorable that Nebuchadnezzar came to faith in God, not because of his response, but because of God's action toward Nebuchadnezzar. Because, see, we think that God might be offended by our pride. But Lewis wants to make it very clear that God is in no way, in no way is God threatened by the pride of humanity. God doesn't sit up there and say, oh, my goodness, they're proud, and maybe they won't love me anymore. I better discipline them. That's not what God says at all. Lewis writes about God's reaction toward human pride. He says the point of God's reaction is this. He wants you, humans, to know him. He wants to give us himself. And he and we are two things of such a kind that if you really get into any kind of touch with Him, you will, in fact, be humble. Delightfully humble. Feeling the infinite relief of having, for once, got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity, which has made you restless and unhappy all your life. God was after Nebuchadnezzar. Surely you stand back and go, ah, it's incredible. Daniel says, look, I want to beg you, please do what is right, and please quit oppressing folks, and maybe God will have mercy on you. But a year later, Nebuchadnezzar denies it, right? And then this dream becomes reality. God's kindness to Nebuchadnezzar tells us about God's view of human pride, doesn't it? But the last thing that I want you to see is that it is also God's kindness to exiles that this story is here. God is committed to dealing with our pride. I am saying, I believe, that one of the reasons that we have a hard time agreeing with God about the mission of this world being for the blessing of the nations is our own pride. Don't you just look at this story and as much as you're amazed that God would love Nebuchadnezzar, are you maybe even more amazed, if you will, because you know the human heart that Daniel would love Nebuchadnezzar that way? I mean, just for a minute, doesn't that make you go, wow, Daniel, what kind of guy is Daniel? Is our hesitancy to engage God's mission due to our pride? That idea of how much we dislike being snubbed and ignored and patronized and always told someone else's opinion. Drives me nuts driving through Cambridge. Everybody in Cambridge wants to tell you what to do and how to drive. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been there? And guess who I am? Ask me to who I am whenever I get behind a car and somebody's going through slow through the roundabout just around from our house, can't you drive? And the only difference is I have a window between me and those walking on the streets of Cambridge. What are signs, according to Lewis, of our own pride? This is why we might say maybe we should stop and consider this. Lewis says that pride at its core is competitive like no other virtue is. Think about that for a minute, right? It's not so much that you want something, it's that you want something more than someone else has. Whether it's stuff, or whether it's honor, or whether it's acclaim, or whether it's power. You just want more than what somebody else has. Guess what I'm known for in my family? Being competitive. I busted my hand in the last two weeks, and you want to know it's overwhelmed my life? How am I going to beat my boys when we go on vacation and golf if I can't get my hand fixed? Dave Brignall better come up with something because all I think about is being competitive, right? I'm so competitive that one time me and another pastor buddy of mine would start our watches at 10 seconds when we all had those black Casio watches that you could start with a timer at 10. And the goal was to see who could stop it at 0.00 and who was the closest. That's ridiculous competition, isn't it? Are you competitive Chances are the reason where you are where you are is because you're competitive. Does that necessarily mean you're filled with pride? Of course it doesn't. But might it? What about your love for power? That's the other thing that Lewis notes. Your love for power. Notice Daniel. Daniel loves Nebuchadnezzar. I told you that this story was God's kindness toward exiles. Do you know that the New Testament calls us more often than not exiles? Foreigners in this world. Hebrews 11 reminds us that like Abraham and his descendants, we are those who are looking for a kingdom that is not of this earth. That this is not our home. Our home is somewhere else. We are the exiles just like Daniel was the exile. The Great Commission tells us, as you go, as you leave... Did you know that in the first century, God drove the Christians out of Jerusalem? He drove them out by persecution, but in so doing, the gospel spread throughout the world... ...so that you might believe, you and me, so that we might hear about the gospel... This world is not our home. Are we proud? Lewis says of the pride of exiles that pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Ding, 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 ding. Sounds like Nebuchadnezzar in his inhumanity, eating grass because of his pride. We too, brothers and sisters, become inhuman when our pride gets in the way of us being a part of God's mission that the nations would be blessed. We too become inhuman. The question is, How do we become like Daniel? What will change our hearts? For those of you who know your Old Testament, you know that this isn't the only stump referenced in the Old Testament. There's another stump referenced in Isaiah 11, the stump of Jesse. And it promises that from that stump, a branch will grow from the stump of Jesse. And that branch will become a king. And that king will unite his people and draw them to himself. And that king from the stump and the root of Jesse will be the lowliest of men to whom it says in verse 17 of Daniel 4, to whom God will give the kingdom of the earth. We are reminded of the manger into which Jesus was born. We are reminded of Philippians 2 the humility of Christ who emptied himself and became a human being and who died for us. We are reminded in this passage that what deals with our pride is remembering that God has set the lowliest of men over us, Jesus And He has made His love known for us through Him as He has died for our sins, that our pride might be crushed. Isaiah 11 that talks about this shoot goes on to say that this branch grows so that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters Cover the sea. Church, what is our end? It is not to live your best life now. Our end is God's end. That the nations of this earth would be blessed. Will you ask God in a similar manner of his kindness to Nebuchadnezzar, to deal with your pride and my pride that dislikes being snubbed and ignored and patronized because we might actually say, our Savior is one who was crucified for us and raised again from the dead. And if you will believe him, he is your Savior too. Let's go there now, but before we do, will you pray with me?